God is good. Amen. Tonight, turn to Hosea chapter 4. Last week we left the actual story of Hosea. So he and Gomer, uh, obviously not fully reconciled in, in all the things that are going on. And now it turns to the prophetic, it turns to the immediate, it turns to the figurative, it turns to the future, it turns to the typical, uh, as we begin to see how the Lord uses this incredible prophet's life and the circumstances in it uh, to speak to us down through the halls of time. And tonight as we share this passage, I, I find it rather interesting that our nation faces really the same dilemma uh, that Israel was facing then. And I'm going to draw attention to it. And as Billy Graham wisely said some 35 years ago, uh, I will repeat to you, and I believe is true, uh, if the Lord doesn't deal with the United States and its sin, then he owes Israel an apology. And so I, I believe that to whom much is given, much is required, as Scripture says. And so we have the privilege of grace and walking in it. And yet we have chosen, our nation has chosen, our leaders have chosen a path that is an abomination to God. And God, though gracious and kind and long-suffering, uh, does not forever tarry in his justice and judgment. And so tonight, the court of the Lord will uh, intervene and begin to speak forth these truths in a message that I've entitled, All Rise for the Judge. Normally, when you enter into a uh, court of law, for those of you that have been there, you know what happens. For those of you that haven't, I will tell you what does. Uh, the First, the bailiff will come in and the, the, he will say, All Rise for the Judge. And everyone stands up, the judge is seated, the jury is seated, and then everyone sits down, and then the indictment is read. The charges are brought. And in this case, the judge is the Lord. And in this case, the bailiff is the Lord. And in this case, the judge is also going to be the jury, and he will be the executioner. And so in this case, the Lord's justice, his judgment, uh, is very clearly seen. And it behooves us to not ever dismiss that side of God's character and God's nature. Though we dwell in the age of grace, and though certainly God wants us to, as I've shared with you, dwell between love and fear, to, to stay in that place of grace where we understand God has his boundaries, we understand that where he wants us to dwell is in the depths of his love. And we, by our choices and by our obedience or disobedience, can dwell pretty much anywhere in between. Uh, the net result of swinging all the way over to the fear side, all the way over to the fully disobedient side, is to test the Lord. And God does not, has not, will not, and will never in the course of history uh, be contrary to his will, contrary to his word, contrary to his way, and so he will ultimately exercise judgment on the disobedient. And in this case, 
the focus is sexual disobedience. It is that promiscuous lifestyle that says, I can do anything that I want because it's my body. And so we're going to see a story tonight that should break our hearts, but at the same time should cause us to be stirred to action, to speak for the truth, to stand up, to be counted in these issues where we have the opportunity to be a moral voice for the Lord. God does have a plan for human sexuality, and it is not what we see in our world today. And so God is going to pronounce judgment upon the wickedness uh, that is being entertained by the Jewish people, and specifically that which has been brought forth and illuminated by Hosea and Gomer. And so it is typical of how God will deal ultimately finitely with sin, but it is also absolutely typical of God's stance on the issue from then to now. He doesn't have a different viewpoint. He didn't change his mind. He didn't wake up and, well, you know, it's the year 2013, so I'm changing my mores. I'm changing my viewpoint. And the thing that I want to really just preface this with, from God's perspective, not from man's, from God's perspective, all sexual activity outside of marriage is sin. All of it. Doesn't matter that you're committed. Doesn't matter that you really, 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 really love each other. It doesn't matter that you really, 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 really like each other. It doesn't matter that you're really, really, really uh, bothered under the collar. It, it doesn't matter that uh, you've been taught the wrong things from birth. It, it does not matter to God. God's standard is there's exactly one place that human sexuality is supposed to be expressed, and that is in the confines of marriage. So by definition, when God says something's wrong, he is always right. And so for us to tell God that there's a different viewpoint that we now hold in this world is to test the very character of God. It's to say to God, you did not know what you were doing when you wrote these words, authored them by the Holy Spirit. And so this passage of Scripture uh, is going to give you a tremendous view, as it did for Hosea then, but a tremendous view of what will befall any nation who heads this direction. It's why we need to fight the fight. It's why you need to stand for your children. It's why you need to speak the truth in love. It's why you need to be for what God says is right and against what God says is wrong. Because it has never been less than true, irregardless of what mankind says it accepts. Mankind is accepting in a lot of things right now that are not okay with God. And very, very specifically in this particular area of human life. And I pray that you're encouraged. I pray you're, in strength, you're strengthened. And I pray at the same time that we are willing to say what needs to be said. Because I can tell you right now, our state is going the opposite direction. Our nation's going the opposite direction. Our elected leaders, be they Republican or Democrat, are going the wrong direction. They're setting the wrong example. And unless the church 
which is the only place this truth is actually taught and believed, steps up to the plate, then you need to hear what the Lord has to say to Israel because it's not good. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. God, I thank you for the truth of Scripture. And as I was studying this afternoon, it just made me absolutely convinced that like never before, we as the church must stand. Lord, as we've been studying spiritual warfare, as we continue to realize that in these last days that men will become lovers of their own selves, that they'll call good evil and they'll call evil good. And Lord, as we look at our world, as we cry out to you to protect our children, Lord, to intervene in our schools, Lord, to catch these young kids that are on the street corners of this town, Lord, who tonight are engaged in these very things that we know ultimately will destroy them. God, would you help us to be light, help us to be salt. Speak to us, we pray, through the power of your word. We ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 1 here in Hosea 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Real simple. God's saying, this isn't an option. Hear what I have to say. You children of Israel. So we know that in that immediate fulfillment, he was speaking directly to a condition that existed then. But as I've said, whatever he held true then, he holds true now. So whatever was true for Israel is true for God's people, no matter what age they're born into. It may be specific in what he's going to say will befall them at that day, but it's typical of what will befall any nation if they follow that path. And so though this is speaking directly, using Gomer and Hosea as an example, directly to them and directly to the nation Israel, because we are grafted in, because we are brought near by the blood of the Lamb, because we're children of grace, uh, these words are for us as well. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. And so he begins now to lay out the case. And I want you to notice that as the court begins in session, uh, we have the balance here between God's grace and his justice and his judgment. That, in God's view, is always perfectly balanced. And some people have a tough time with that. They basically don't believe that God still has a side that will judge, a side that will actually send people to hell, a judge that actually one day will take everyone's life, irregardless of the philosophy that they held or the religion that they entertained, and they one day will stand before a holy God and give an account either under the blood of Christ and saved from eternal damnation, or in your own selves, with your own wisdom, with your own capacity, and you get to do battle with God and say, well, this is why I did what I did. And he will say, depart, for I have never known you. People don't like to hear that message. It's not the nice fuzzy God that we've come to love and know here in our country in the last 30 or 40 years. The nice warm cupcake-ish cotton candy God that is just the fluffy God of love. This is the other side of the God that we serve. 
This is the side that God doesn't want us to experience, by the way. And that's why he said, I would rather have you be obedient than have your sacrifice. I would rather you do what I ask you to do than you make all kinds of religious notion to me. For thus says the Lord, it is better to be obedient than to sacrifice. It's better for us to walk in his ways than it is for us to be religious around him. And I want you to notice that what remains is what I've shared with you before. It is a polysyndeton, and it uses the conjunction and to link together so that this indictment, as you read it, reads as indictment one, there is no truth. The conjunction or mercy. So there is no truth and there is no mercy. There is no knowledge of God in the land. You hearing what's being said here? Think about our world that we live in right now and you ask yourself a simple question. Is this not by definition the very world that we live in today? Is it not where our country has descended to? Is it, you can say anything you want as long as you don't talk about Jesus Christ in the public square. I were watching television last night. I don't even remember what show it was, but it was something on TV. And they arrested a guy in England because all he was doing was reading his Bible and recounting exactly what God's Word says about homosexuality. He was arrested. Now, if he'd been standing up there shouting every single vile, disgusting, vulgar word that he could think of, shouting profanities profusely, if he had been uh, engaging in, in obscene gestures and all kinds of stuff, they would have left him alone. He would have been allowed to continue to do that. But because he stood and simply read from the word of God and gave it sense and meaning exactly what we studied in Nehemiah 8.8, 8, he was arrested. Now he was let go. He was given a warning. But the fact of the matter is, preaching the word of God is becoming illegal. It's considered hate speech. And so I've shared this with you for years now that this day was coming. It has come. And it's come here in the United States of America as well. And so here he goes with the indictment. Or knowledge of God in the land by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery. They break all restraints. In other words, they have nothing to restrain them. That's what the literal rendering of that is. There is no restraint. Anything they can think of, they do. Anything they want to engage in, they engage in. There is no restraint. With bloodshed upon bloodshed. How how is it that we've reached an age and time when human life is so devalued that a mother loads her car full of her kids and drives it into a lake? How is it that we wake up in the morning and a mom who by everything that I know about motherhood, being a father and having a wife who is a mother, I can't imagine the circumstances that would exist that would cause a mom to walk to a bridge and throw her baby 200 feet into the water. How can a mom go with 20 weeks of just... Why is there a debate in Texas 
about aborting babies after 20 weeks. 20 weeks, we have two children in this church that were born before 20 weeks. No restraint. Anything you want to do. I believe it. It's true. Uh, Did you hear what I just said? It used to be, if it's true, I believe it. Now it's, if I believe it, it's true. In other words, truth has changed from the truth to simply what I want it to be, and thereby I believe it. Look what's said. And therefore, the land will mourn. That word land could be translated nation or country. The country, the place where these people dwell, the nation itself will mourn. And everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Now let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. And we'll get to a little bit of what was going on in just a moment. Hosea has this quarrel with his wife and this whole story begins to come out. But here really is the controversy that the Lord has. And this is the first part in these first four four verses. He, He says, look, I gave you the Ten Commandments. I want you to just notice you don't need to turn there. But in Exodus chapter 20, if you were to turn and look at the Ten Commandments, you're going to find that this list includes every single man word commandment God gave. Every last one of them. God gave Godward commandments. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You'll not take the name of the Lord in vain. You'll observe the Sabbath. But after that he gives, you shall not steal. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his goods or any other thing that is your neighbor's. And so what God is saying, I gave you these things. I brought you out of bondage. You didn't earn it. You were in bondage in Egypt. I saved you from that. I was the one who brought you out of there. I took you across the Red Sea. I got you through the wilderness. I brought you into the promised land. And this is how you repay me? I gave you ten things that you need to concern yourselves with. Up to this point, remember, this is 900 or so, 800, maybe 750, but certainly about 800 B.C., This is during the time of King Uzziah. This is during the time of Jeroboam I. And at that time, they were still living underneath the law. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want to be supreme in your life. I want you to worship me. And I want you to be kind to everybody else. What do they do? Exactly the opposite. So when your Bible says... That in the last days, men will call good evil and evil good. This is what God was saying then. So when somebody says, well, you know, that whole thing of, you know, God being long-suffering, you know, look at all the... No, God has allowed mankind to have his way. He says, now I'm saying it's enough. You can't do it anymore. And so he says, guys, you caused this. It's on your head. I warned you. You did exactly what I asked you not to do. And so now you're going to be judged. Now, I don't know when that is. 
I know the safest way to escape it, and that's not to do it. I know the most clear and concise path to never having to worry about it. That's don't entertain it. But people wanting to do exactly what they want to do with what they think is their body, their life, their things that they think they're entitled to, often use that as an excuse to say to God, I don't care what you think. Now I ask you a simple question. Is that not pretty much the philosophy of our day? Basically, the way it's going right now, whatever God says, we're going to pass laws that are exactly the opposite of that. Whatever it was, whatever he said, whatever you Christians declare it to be, whatever the Bible says, we're now going to pass laws that are exactly the opposite. Because we don't want anybody feeling bad about their sin. Matter of fact, here in the state of California, we don't want anybody feeling bad about anything. So we're just going to make everything okay. We're going to make bathrooms gender, gender neutral. We're going to tell your kids that, you know, whatever. If you think you're a boy and you're a girl, that's fine. We're going to make up history to now go forth AB48, which passed almost two years ago now mandates that we rewrite our social history and our history books to include the history of people who are gay, transgender, and transvestites. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't recall, remember reading anything about George and Martha Washington's sex life. So, I don't really want to know about anyone's sex life in the context of history. I think it's a rather unimportant point. Amen? And yet we're passing laws that says we need to make sure that kind of information comes to the forefront because that's what matters. I'm telling you, we are stepping on extremely dangerous ground that one day God is going to say, I've had enough. You cannot do this. You can't destroy these children. Think about it for a second. When Jesus said it would be better for you that a millstone were tied around your neck, and you thrown into the deepest parts of the sea, then you offend one of these little ones. What do you think he's going to do? Because right now, state of California public school, if you have a child in junior high, and that child in junior high happens to be a girl, and she happens to be pregnant, do you know that she can go get an abortion without her parents' permission? That is a state law. We are messing up. And the church has been silent. And I'm not saying all you, and I'm not saying every church. I'm saying there are supposedly 78 million evangelical Christians in the United States of voting age. Where are they on voting day? Where are they? Because my Bible says we need to stand strong. And so the Lord announces his controversy. Notice he says, when we get to verse 6, that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. There was no faithfulness in the land. There was no truth in the land. And what he's talking about, about truth, is his truth. 
not man's view of what we would like to believe is true and okay. Because what we believe is true and okay is you can have indiscriminate sexual relations with anyone at any time that you like, and we're going to pass laws to make it so. What he says is, if you believe that it's okay to, to have a marriage that's not defined as God defines it, that that's okay, even when God says that it's sin and that it kills. You see, there's no truth. It's very simple to see the very deep corollary here. The people were false-hearted towards God. The Hebrew word that's used here for knowledge in these passages of Scripture is the intimate knowledge of a husband and a wife. It's beyond just knowing the facts. It's relational. There was no relationship with God. There was no desire and no understanding that God one day would hold them accountable. You see, in marriage, you can mess up But if you really have a loving marriage, what happens is you repent, you turn the other way, and you make it right. In this case, there was no knowledge. There was no intimacy. There was no repentance. There was no turning. And so the people now are standing face to face with God doing exactly what he told them not to do. The next thing that we see as we pick up in verse 5 is is the shocking, and it is, it's a shocking commentary on Israel. Now I want you to see the amazing love of God here because he, he doesn't let us go, but he also doesn't let us off. Amen? He's not going to, well, forget it. Sin has its consequences. And they are deep, they are pervasive, and they can be very severe. And when people say to me, well, you know, I just don't really feel like doing that. When I have people come to me and they, they want to counsel, and I simply recount to them what God's Word says, and they say, yeah, I know, but they won't do it. When someone walks into my office and says, don't tell me what the Bible says, it happens. More frequently than you would like to know. I don't want to know what the Bible says. What do you think a psychologist... I don't care what a psychologist would tell you. And I'm not dismissing psychology in any way, shape, or form in its entirety. I'm not dismissing psychiatry. I'm not dismissing medicine. I'm saying that if God says, thus says the Lord, that is my opinion. That's my opinion. I don't have a different opinion. And I believe that God said what he meant and meant what he said. And so from that point on, the discussion is, how do we implement what God says? Not how do we get around what God says. How we get around what God says is how the world views Christianity today. We don't like what Christianity stands for because it's too narrow. We don't like what it presents because it's not inclusive enough. We don't like Christianity because it's intolerant family of God God has been intolerant of sin since day one and so for the church to get tolerant of sin is to directly disobey God 
Now, when you sin without knowledge, there is a different consequence to that sin than when you sin with knowledge. The church sins with knowledge. Unbelievers often sin without knowledge. So who do you think God's looking at first to be salt and to be light, to speak the truth? It's us. It was the Israelites who had been given much. And therefore you shall say, verse 5 says, that you shall stumble in the day. The prophet also shall stumble with you at night, and I will destroy your mother. He's talking about Israel itself, the birthright of the Jewish people. You, you see, the Jews by this time had already gotten a relatively swollen head. They believed and understood that they were God's chosen people. He says, but you know what? You're hoping in your lineage. You're hoping in your tradition. You're hoping in the fact that you are related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are more than capable of understanding that I blessed you, but you will not do what I said you ought to do, which it says, I will bless those who bless me, and I will curse those who curse me. You see, they had selective hearing and selective understanding. And so therefore, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that means intimacy, intimate knowledge. Because you have rejected intimate knowledge, I will also reject you from being priest for me. In other words, he says, right now, you guys are the only monotheistic religion on the face of the earth. They were it. There was no Islam and there was no biblical Christianity. Christ wouldn't come for another nearly 800 years. There's one monotheistic religion on the face of the earth who worships the true and the living God, and it's a very small percentage of the world's population. He says, I have blessed you. You remember when I brought you into the promised land? The first place you went was Jericho, and what did I do for you? I gave you victory. But you didn't honor me. Then you went to Ai, and you got your backsides beat. You see, God has always said, here's what I require of you. Here's what I'm asking you to do. This is my part. This is your part. Do your part. Imperfectly, but you're doing it. Slip and stumble, but you're doing it. You're not going, no. Not going to do it. That's where the Jewish people were. And now, notice what he says. I will reject you for being priests for me, because you have forgotten the law of your God. Notice what it is. The focus is on the Word of God. You've forgotten what I've said to you. I told you what I expected. I will also forget your children. Now, if God look at our world and ask yourself, are we perhaps seeing the last Christian generation? I'm reading a book by that title by Josh McDowell right now. I wonder, because the problems are immense. Could it be that God is taking his hand off of our children because we're not teaching our children? Because the church no longer stands for righteousness? Because when they come home, well, you know, I know you're going to sleep with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You know, just make sure you're having safe sex. After all, everybody does it. 
Could it be that God is actually saying, you know what, you need to change your tune. If we want revival, do you want revival? I want revival. That's what I want. I want revival. I don't want God's judgment and justice. I can tell you the only way that that's coming is by the church doing what the church is supposed to do. And that's stand up and stand for the truth. It's not lay down and go, well, you know, it's just going the wrong way. Might as well go along with it. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. Underline that. The more prosperous they got, the more they sinned against God. The better they had it, the more they forgot the Lord. The less stuff they had to really do, the more they thumbed their nose at God. I will change their glory into shame. Are you seeing the parallels here? You see, when a nation says, I am rich, I am fat, and I have need of nothing. When we stop depending upon the Lord, when He is no longer first, when He's no longer in the public square, when He's been kicked out of every place except for a handful of homes, and I pray every home in this room, and I really believe that, the nation's in trouble. And guess what? We are part of the nation. And as goes the nation, so go the people in it. And good people do suffer. God is always faithful to preserve a remnant. But there are things that we'll go through as a nation that God never intended, but He's going to allow simply because He's always allowed it. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. I think I just described television to you. They eat up the sin of my people and they set their heart on iniquity. I I never in my wildest dream would imagine that we would get to where we are right now. I can't even imagine it. And it shall be like the people like priest. Underline that one. When you start to see the church and its representatives being just like the people, and the people just like, when there's no difference, there's supposed to be a difference between the leadership of the church and the common person in the church. That doesn't make the pastor or the priest better. That simply says, God has a standard, and I'm supposed to show it to you. Not be just like everybody else on this earth. Not be seeking after the same things that everybody else is seeking after. And when you've heard me rail against pastors who take seven-figure salaries and drive Ferraris and have mansions on the hill in Newport and do all manner of things that just is exactly like the world, this is why I say so. It's not okay with God. Because that is of the world. They're ministering to no one by having those things. They're simply fulfilling their own desires. Nobody needs a multiple million dollar salary as a pastor. Nobody needs a 10,000 square foot mansion. Nobody needs a gold gilded television studio. Nobody has need of any of those things. And yet we almost have a culture of following after people who seemingly 
have all of this affluence. And God says, you know what? One day I'm going to make it exactly as it is. Because that wasn't His plan. I don't want to stand before God someday and leave this earth and have tens of millions of dollars in the bank doing nothing but making it easy on a handful of people. It's God's money. It doesn't mean you can't be doing okay. It doesn't mean you can't take some vacations. It doesn't mean you can't have a decent car. But it absolutely for sure means there ought to be a difference between you and the world. Period. So I will punish them for their ways. Notice what it, these are not nice words. And reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry and not increase. Because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Notice what it says. Harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. Might say beer and bikinis in our day enslave the heart. Okay? I don't know how you want to modernize it, but I can tell you this. That formula has always been a formula for disaster. It's never proven well for any country that's ever followed after it hardcore, like we are right now as a nation. Fulfilling sexual desire and drinking yourself into oblivion is a recipe for disaster. Drunkenness is a sin. It's not a entertainment. My people ask for counsel from their wooden idols. Check this out. Now, probably none of you have an Ashtaroth pole. You probably don't have a golden calf or a statue of Baal in your living room. But I can tell you there are a lot of people who do have some idols they worship. They got their Budweiser cooler in the garage. They got their ATVs, all 74 of them. You know, and again, you can have motorcycles. I'm not preaching against having some things. But I'm telling you, there are people who don't worship God. They worship Sunday in the desert. I'm telling you, there are people who don't worship God. They worship a bunch of idiots on a football field, bashing their heads together. And I love football, so don't get me wrong here. But I'm telling you, there are people who would forsake God to make it to go see their favorite football player. And then you have a guy gifted like nobody's business, who's made millions of dollars doing that, and he still thinks it's okay to pump a few bullets into somebody with whom he disagrees. Now, we are, we are in trouble. Did you know that in the city of Pittsburgh, that church attendance on home game day, when the Pittsburgh Steelers are in Pittsburgh, church attendance goes down by 40%. 40%. Now, I like football. And I used to be a pretty rabid Charger fan. But Really? Idols, they've always been a problem. And their staff informs them. In other words, they talk to the pole that the stupid idol sits on. Is this the dumbest thing you've ever heard? For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray. And they have played the harlot against their God. In other words, they carried it all the way to the point of being in love with someone other than God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense in the hills and under the oaks, the poplars and the terebinths because their shade is good. 
You see, in that day and time, all of the cults of the Canaanite religions, and that was the worship of Ashtaroth, the worship of Baal, the worship of Molech, all when they would make an altar, they would plant a grove of trees around it so that they could stay out of the hot Middle Eastern sun. And so very frequently, the places that you could go find shade, it's like, you know, I'm just going to go over there to the idol. That's a nice park. Sure, there are going to be people, you know, having sexual liaisons because that's what they did to worship their God. But, you know, it's shady. It's cool. And after all, it's hot out. Do you see the compromise? This is how Christians get in trouble. Well, you know, I'm just going because it's cool. I'm just going to the bar because they got really inexpensive wings. Ten for five bucks. And after all, God loves a bargain. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to smoke dope because after all, it's a green herb. It's how we've always gotten in trouble. That's what happens. We look, well, it's shady. It's hot over here. We've had a few of those days lately, amen? You're all walking around. You go down the hill. These people actually live in Ghana. And you're like, my goodness, Lord, it's hot here. And you're looking for shade. And you're like, these people, if the only shade had been some strip club, they would have gone in. I'm going to get out of the sun. It's chilly. they got air conditioning in there. And therefore, read this carefully. Because of the example that you set as parents, your daughters commit harlotry. Moms, I want to talk to you for a second. And anyone that hears this on the internet, you set the example for your daughters as to how to be a godly woman. And what you do or do not do will directly affect how they live their life. And what they hold as a plan for success in their life on earth as a woman. And in this case, mom's over there underneath the terebinth tree watching the idols. We need to be different. So what so what if our daughters dress a little more modestly than the rest of the girls at school? You're teaching them to be a woman who has character. And by the way, the same is true for us men. But this is speaking of this issue. Why? Because women have always traditionally been the influence that stopped promiscuity. And that is no longer the case. More than 50% of all divorces are now instigated by women. Women are now approaching the level of adulterousness that was once reserved for men. We are teaching this to our kids. Our daughters are seeing it. They're going, this is what marriage looks like. If I don't like my husband, I go find a new one. If I want attention, I just wear a shorter skirt. I wear a lower neckline. 
Because that's how you really get attention. Let me speak bluntly. Whatever you catch a man with, you're going to keep him with. So you better catch him with the heart and with the inner beauty that's most precious to God and not just with your physical body. Because that will build a lasting relationship that is built upon the rock, the foundation that is Christ, and not upon that which is fleeting, which is our human existence while we're on this earth. And so, because of that, your brides commit adultery. He goes on to say, you know what, it's so bad, I'm not going to punish your daughters when they commit harlotry. Why do you suppose God said that? Because the example in the culture was so pervasive that it would have been wrong for God to do so. Now, it didn't change how he thought about it. He says, you're all doing it. Why would I single them out when this is exactly what you've taught them? Nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with a ritual harlot, and therefore the people do not understand that they will be trampled. So pervasive was the sexuality of the culture that people didn't get that it was wrong. Now I say to you, what do you think is going on in our nation? When it becomes the standard that we keep, that we're just simply going to do what everybody else is doing, when we're going to go where everybody else is going, we're going to watch what everybody else is watching. We're not going to stand any longer for what God says is true and holy and just, but we're just going to go and do whatever we want to do. We are damning our kids. We're destroying their lives. We're allowing them to be beat to a pulp to the point that they don't know which end is up. I just want to encourage you, if you've got kids at home, be bold enough to tell them no. Be strong enough to say, I don't care what they told you at school, it's wrong. Stand for them. Protect them. Don't let the enemy have them. Because he's trying to kill your kids. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you got grandkids. Protect your grandkids. Protect your nieces, your nephews, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins. Protect the neighbor's kids. Tell them the truth. It breaks my heart. I've seen so many kids. I've sat and listened to them pour out their hearts that they got here because this is what they know. I learned this at home. Let us dare to be different. Israel wasn't merely guilty of simple ignorance. She chose to be ignorant. She says, you know what? It's just what we're going to do. And I want to tell you, and I want to just really be direct with you. This is what happened to the Russians under Stalin and Lenin and Marx. This is what happened to the Germans under Hitler. He tried to buy the church out and then crush the church. Okay? This is what happened in Iran 
Iran used to largely be Christian, folks. You kick God out. You tell him you're not welcome. Look what you got today. Where's our world? Where's our country? Ah, do whatever you want. Frankly, a nation's behavior often affects the individual's behavior. Amen? Do you know when divorce started to increase the most? As soon as we made no-fault divorce law. As soon as we said, it's nobody's fault. Christians bought into that lie. As soon as we said, you can't pray in school. Guess what happened? Crime increases. Teen pregnancy increases. STDs increase. Drug use increases. Every evil thing under the sun all of a sudden had nothing to confront it. It's illegal to display the Ten Commandments when they're on the doors of the Supreme Court Justices' Chambers. We need to be worried. And I don't mean worried in the sense that you go home and you fret, but worried in the sense that you get on your knees and you pray and say, God, help me where I have influence to stand for you. So we've been studying and will study. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. You see, Jeroboam I chose these people. And he said, we'll, we'll make our own nation here in the north. And we'll headquarter it here at Megiddo. But you know what? We don't want to be offending the people around us. So it's okay if you worship Baal. You see that ridge over there? That's Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel, there's a lot of Baal worshipers over there. And you know, you don't want to be scrapping with them. they got water. And so because they got water, you go over there and do whatever they do, you go ahead and do that. Yeah, you know, we've been delivered and we're the Jewish people and all that. But don't worry about it. Just do what everybody else is doing because we don't want any problems. It's pretty much what we're being asked to do in our country, isn't it? We don't want any problems out of you. So why don't you just shut up? Why don't you Christians stop talking about this Jesus guy? And why don't you just get in line with everybody else and do what we're doing? It won't take long for these words to ring true here. I happen to personally believe that Gomer was likely the victim of these very priests that are named here. I I believe pretty much with all my heart that she was likely a temple prostitute. That she had learned from the church that this is what you do. That's a scary thing. That's why you're never going to hear that in this church as long as Jeff Gill's alive. This is going to happen. Not going to happen. Because I don't want to be named with these folks. God still called the Israelites. He still said, you're my people. But he was not happy about what his people were doing. Church had become a place where they got together to hook up and shack up. Is that nuts? But that's what happened. 
That's what was going on. You see, I believe behind that were those very evil forces of darkness that we're studying on Sunday. I believe that in all of that social correctness, that humanistic hedonism was the enemy himself saying, oh, well, this is awesome. I mean, man, who doesn't want to go to a church where there's prostitutes in the lobby? Think about it. I know that's a tough stretch, but that's exactly what this passage says. Appeals to the fleshly nature. But there isn't going to be any room for God. And you know it's really bad when the priests, who should be the example, are in fact the ones who lead in sin. That's why I think there's a special place that the Lord has reserved for those who lead his people astray. The Kansas City prophets who seem to think that it's okay to just end their marriages at will and pick up with somebody else, especially if they're 15 or 20 years younger than you. The Jim Joneses, the Jim Bakers, the Jim Swaggerts of the world, the David Koreshes of the world. All the same deal, isn't it? You see, God had rejected them. He says, I'm not even going to bother chastising your kids. And so it leaves us with a closing thought, verse 15. And though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. So now he's making a distinction. And he's saying, there's still some of my people who are doing the right thing down in Judah. Remember, Israel is the nation Ephraim. It's the northern kingdom. It's 11 of the 12 tribes. The southern tribes, the ones who dwelled around Jerusalem, had not bought into this. He said, let them not offend. Do not come up to Gilgal. That would be halfway between Jerusalem and Megiddo. Nor go up to Beth-Avon. And that's a little play on words because it actually was the city of Bethel, which means house of God or house of bread. Beth-Avon means house of evil. Don't go to the house of evil. Nor swear an oath, saying, as the Lord lives, for Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. And now the Lord will let them forage like a land in the open country. And Ephraim is joined to idols. Let them alone. And I want to give you what that actually says. It literally says, Ephraim is busy having sex with idols. Don't bother them. Join to, in this case, mean it's a euphemism for being sexually intimate. He says they are so messed up that they're right now engaged in intimacy with idols. Leave them alone. They're so far gone, don't go there. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Think about our leadership right now. And I'm not picking on anyone. Pick on Mark Sanford. Pick on John Edwards. Name who you want to name of these men who in high positions of authority are spending hundreds of thousands, 
of U.S. tax are secret service buying prostitutes while they're in Venezuela. This is nuts. This is a sign that a nation is so far down the tubes that they've reached the bottom of the toilet. They love dishonor. You get what that's saying? That says between the priests and the governing officials, their sole aim and goal is to enter into as much dishonorable activity as they possibly can. And God says, my hand of judgment is on this nation right now. You're going to lose everything. You realize he kept his promise, don't you? Assyria was about two countries away, and they would be there soon. They would wipe out all 11 of the northern tribes. That would leave Judah alone, and after the Assyrians would come the Babylonians and take all of Judah captive to Babylon. God kept kept his promise. He did exactly what he said he would do. Like a stubborn mule at a yoke, they're pulling backwards. They're going the way they want to go. And it cost them. In all of this, our homeland's a whole lot like Israel at that point in time. And I fear. Now I know what could have prevented this. And that was God's people never letting the whole nation reached the bottom of that barrel in the first place. That is why you are important, family of God. That's why you standing for your children, standing for righteousness, speaking for the Lord, being salt, being light, being different, being unashamed of the gospel, for it is salvation unto them who believeth. There is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. And it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. There isn't any other name. There isn't any other way. And the only people with that truth are God's people. And if God's people don't speak that truth, no one will. God may cry out from the trees and the rocks, but he's left us to be salt and light. And I pray that we never forsake that while we have breath on this earth. We may be few, but we are strong and we are mighty in His power. Amen? Don't surrender. Don't give up. Don't become dismayed and say it's a lost cause. It's not a lost cause until God says, I'm going to judge. And He hasn't done that yet. Revival could be waiting in the wings if God's people will turn and pray. And ask the Lord to spare us and to revive us again unto righteousness. It can be done. But not if we turn. Not if we give up. Not if we capitulate. Not if we lay down our arms and stop fighting. We must fight. And fight we shall. Would you pray with me? The worship team's going to come back up. Father God, I. I thank you for the patience of your people to hear. Lord, a message that I know we need. And God, I pray that there's no heart here that's been 
overly wounded by hearing your word. But Lord, that is it. That's the key. This is what you've said. This is what you have done. And this is your character displayed before us. And God, we ask right now, God, we we look at our Congress. We look at the infighting. We look at the laws that are being passed. We look at where our Supreme Court has just taken us. God, we see what our senators and our congressmen are bringing down our way because they have the power to do so. And Lord, it causes us to shudder. Lord, we don't know where it will stop unless you stop it. And so we do cry out to you, Lord, for revival. God, bring revival again to our nation. God, you've done it before. You can do it again. We know that you have a plan to save the lost. And God, we can't even think of what would happen should you come tonight for your church. Lord, we don't know how many millions right here in the in United States would perish eternally because you came in the night and they did not know you. God, make us vibrant for your kingdom. Cause us to preach your word. Lord, not just in word, but in deed, in life. God, protect our children. God, we cry out to you for our kids that are in our schools. Lord, that are being pressured and forced and cajoled to change what has been your plan from the beginning for children to be children. Not little tiny adults, but kids. God, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon the teachers who know you and love you. God, would there be holy disobedience in the classroom? God, would you change the way that we view the very laws that we've created? May they be honoring to you, not simply accepting of anything that one says. We love you. We bless you. We ask you to do these things for your own namesake because Jesus died to set us free. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.